This is Evolutionary Radio. This is your host, Trevor Kuritz, and as always, my co-host, Steve Smith, is joining me. Good afternoon, fellas. What's up? What's up, guys? Joining us today, we got a really good guest. Joining us is Branch Warren. Branch, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. So I did a very bonehead thing this weekend. Um, if you listen to our earlier episode, we had Tor Washington on. He's a vegan IPV pro, uh, and he was in Winnipeg this weekend for VegFest. So I said, you know, like, hey, I'm going to come down. I'm going to hook up with you. I'm going to Instagram live your presentation. So I went to VegFest wearing this vest, not even thinking about anything. Because I'm, I'm kind of new to this whole vegan thing. I didn't even know veganism was also, uh, was also about, like, your clothes and, like, your skincare and, like, everything like that. So when I get there, everyone's staring at me and giving me this, like, evil eye. And I'm just like, I'm like, what's going on? Is there, like, something in my face or anything like that? <laughs> And then the, the worst part is, is that, so then I see Tor and I'm about to go backstage and, and then Tor's like, no, 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 he's, he's actually with me. So I totally, uh, I totally didn't think that one out. Um, yeah, I didn't know that either, man. That's new to me too. I didn't know that they extended the veganism into clothes and skincare products and things like that either. Well, I didn't, I didn't actually know how bad Candy Goose was. Because uh, after doing that, I went and YouTubed it, and like they they basically like, torture the geese and like skin them alive. It was actually pretty disheartening. Some of the videos. Damn, they skin them alive. So basically, what they do is they have these geese in like holding pens, and they'll like rip the geese out of all the feathers, put them back in the pen, and in two weeks the feathers regrow, and they do it again. Damn, bro! I thought they like killed them first and then did it. Uh... That's that's what I thought. Is I thought they killed the geese. For like meat or something, Ugh. and then and then use it. But no, they they keep them alive because then they can keep skinning them every two weeks. That's pretty harsh. So I'm a, I like to hunt, you know. But uh, you know, for all through my career, I always hunted you know wild game for my that was my protein source. That's you know that's the best source of protein you can get. But uh, when I go to skin something alive, man, that's a so it's pretty hardcore. Well, um, some some people skin humans alive. They'll cut their head off alive. So a lot of sick fucks in this world, you know, psychopaths. They'll they'll do anything for a buck, you know. You got that right. So. You know what I'm saying? So where where'd you go hunting at? Man, I hunt all over the place, man. Uh, hunt big game. I hunt uh, Wyoming, New Mexico, of course, Texas. Uh, I've been to Alaska before. So uh, just uh, grew up. You know, I grew up in West Texas, man, in a small town, and um, out on a ranch. So. Uh, there's only two things you could do out there, drink beer and hunt. What, what kind of things do you hunt out there? Pigs? Deer, deer wild boar. Uh, okay. Love to hunt elk and uh, mule deer, those kind of things. So, Yeah, also, nothing you know, Like I said, that's, when I was coming up in my career, that's what I used to diet on, was bison, elk, you know, venison. And, uh, you know, that's the best hormone-free, best protein you can get. So are you are you a big proponent to getting your own food, either through hunting or hormone-free or stuff like that versus buying? Uh, the Walmart brand meats, stuff like that. You think it makes a difference? I think it's healthier, hands down. Um, I mean, if you, you know anything about, uh, you know, the meat, most meat is, you know, got a lot of hormones in it, it's processed, these kind of things. So it's definitely healthier. Um, you know, to go back to what you just said about the geese, I mean, if you've ever been to a slaughterhouse, they, uh, they don't treat the animals too good. You know, I've been to a slaughterhouse before, so hunting is a much more humane way to put an animal down than, uh, 
usually how they put down the slaughterhouses, whether it's a chicken or a cow or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, I get it. Not everybody hunts. You know, if you grow up in the city, so I think it always goes back to how you grow up. I was raised in a very rural on a ranch, and uh, it's just a way of life out there. So, you know, if you grew up in the city, you know, you're probably not exposed to that. And you don't understand it. So um, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking an animal as long as you eat it and don't waste it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fisherman, and it really pisses me off when people waste fish. They'll catch the fish and just throw it on the rocks or something. Yeah, there's, there's no point yeah. in that. So yeah, that's that's, and that's the thing. That's that's insulting, that's you know, that insults me as a fisherman because mm-hmm. I take the fish. If I don't eat it, I throw it back. If I keep yeah. it, it goes in my cooler. Boom, done. You know, that's either it. fit or throw it back. You know, have to have some respect for uh, for nature. You know, so absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Branch. Where did you grow up? Is it just West Texas, or did you kind of move around a little bit? I grew up in West Texas. Um, I was born in Tyler, Texas, and then when I was very young, I moved to West Texas, and I grew up with my grandfather's uh, ranch out there. It was a cattle ranch. So um, I think our closest neighbor was almost eight miles away and a very small school. The two best-looking girls in my school were my cousins. So, uh, (laughs) so, uh, when I was uh, in high school, we moved to the Fort Worth area, and uh, I came from a I came from a school that we barely had enough guys to have a football team. You know, Texas football is king. You know, everybody plays football, so uh, we barely had enough guys to have a team. So when I moved to Fort Worth, you know, it was a much much larger school, and I uh, got to make the team. So that's how I got into working out. So that summer, I knew I needed to work out, put on some muscle if I was going to have a chance of making the team. I met this kid in the neighborhood, and uh, I couldn't afford a membership. You know, didn't have any money, so this kid had a membership this local neighborhood gym and he'd open up the back door let me slip in and i trained and uh during that summer i met a bodybuilder never i never met a bodybuilder before and uh, this guy was huge 280 pounds national level competitor and uh, i was pretty impressed i never i didn't know a guy could get that big and strong so um i trained all summer made the football team but next uh, next so, 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 as soon as the season was over i came back and started training again in that gym and um uh, he came up to me one day and he said hey kid he goes why don't you uh, show up tomorrow and I'll show you how to train right? He goes, you don't know what you're doing because, you know, we're 15-year-old kids. We don't know what we're doing. We're just in there lifting weights. No, no real guidance. Not doing stuff right. And uh, I was like, all right. So my friend goes, man, you're going to do it? I go, yeah. He's like, man, that dude's going to kill you, bro. And uh, <clears throat> I said, whatever, man. I said, I'm going to get big and buff and get all the chicks and I'm going to kick your ass. And uh, you're going to be a skinny little kid. And uh, I came back the next day. He trained me on legs. And I think I threw up three times. This dude annihilated me. And uh, I finished the workout, came back the next day. It was kind of the same thing. He trained me for about two weeks straight. And then uh, he just write my programs up for me, give them to me, and I do them. So I think I gained like 20 pounds that year, just half-ass eating and training. And then uh, fast forward to the next summer after that, he, uh, he asked me about doing a, you ever think about doing a bodybuilding show? And I've never been to a show. I don't bodybuild I've ever seen was this guy. And he says, uh, what do you think about doing a show? I said, man, I don't know anything about it. He said, why don't you come to the show this weekend and I'll see you can see what the junior division looks like and see if you want to do it. So we went. I looked at it and I thought, you know, I could do this. So he said, I'm going to take you to a real gym on Monday. I go, where are we at right now? He goes, man, this ain't a real gym. So he picked me up Monday morning. We drove across town. We pulled up in front of this warehouse. Doors are open. You could hear the music in the parking lot. There's chicks in bikinis squatting in the parking lot. And uh, the biggest dudes I've ever seen in my life all walking around inside the gym. He introduced me to a guy named Brian Dobson, and uh, he said, hey, Brian, this is a kid I've been telling you about. I told him I want to compete, do the show at the end of the summer, and uh, I said, I don't have enough money to buy a membership, but I'll clean the gym up, take the trash out, whatever to trade out with you, and uh, 
He said, I see what you look like. So I took my shirt off, gave him a couple shots. And he said, I'll tell you what, kid. He said, if uh, you train for this, train off somewhere in my gym and represent my gym and you win, you don't got to buy a membership. Because if you lose, you're going to work it off. All right, fair enough. So uh, 27 years later, I still haven't bought a membership. So, uh, <laughs> that was the original Metroflex gym. It's Brian Dobson who uh, discovered and trained Ronnie Coleman as well as myself and uh, many other people along the way. And uh, I'm still training there. The original, original Metroflex. That's, that's, that's an awesome story, Branch. Um, we had lots of listener questions. And one question I have for you is, you're known as being one of the hardest training guys. And I mean, just just telling that story, you know, like the first instinct, this kid who doesn't make money is, hey, I want to do this. I don't have any money. Can I clean the gym? You know, like most kids, the, the first thing they would do is go to their parents and say, hey, I want a gym membership. Where do you think that work ethic came from? And growing up on that ranch, um, you know, I don't know, anybody that's ever grown up on a farm or a ranch knows it's hard-ass work, man. And you never run out of stuff to do. And um, that's just the way I grew up, man. I, I didn't know no difference, you know. I mean, from a very young age, I had chores to do, you know. I had to, I had to work, you know. We had to take care of horses, shovel stalls, you know, bale hay, mint fence. And it was always something you had to do. And, um, you know, it sucked, but I didn't know any different, man. That's just how I thought everybody grew up, you know. You live out in a country like that, you don't know any different. And um, so that's where I came up, and I learned – early on and nobody gives you nothing for free you know you, anything you want in life you gotta work your ass off for so you know i just i'm not gonna go to a man that i don't even know and say hey can i work out at your gym for free you know that's that's disrespectful so uh i didn't have any money but i'm like i'll be willing to you know work something out with him to so i can train here so uh so uh, he gave me you know, brian gave me an opportunity and uh so my whole life changed so it kind of rolls us into our first user question. This is from E from our forum. He says that uh, he says the branch works as hard today as he did when he was competing. He doesn't seem to have ever taken a break. Why is that? Does he ever have a desire to compete again? So this is kind of like a two or three part question. He's saying that you work out as hard as, as you did when you were competing. Is that true? It says he has never take, even taken a break. Is that true? And, and the third one is, does he have a desire to compete against? Kind of a three-part question. Um, I love to work out. You know, uh, I think uh, I think I bodybuilding because I love to work out. You know, I think some people, it's the opposite. They love to bodybuild more than they love to work out. So, um, you know, training, I love to train. Um, do I work out as hard as I did when I was training? No. Um, I think uh, really, you know, when I knew I was going to be getting ready for the Arnold Classic or the Mr. Olympia, you know, that was a lot. That's what motivated me to go. Take it to that next level. Um, I still train. I don't train near as heavy as I did when I was competing. It's just uh, at this point in my, my life, the risk outweighs the benefits. Um, you know, when I was young, still competing, you know, I took it. I was balls to the wall every day in the gym, bro, as hard and heavy as I could go. And um, I still train, but not like I said, I scaled it back. At this point in my career, I don't want to have injuries. But uh, I have fun in the gym, man. You know, me and Johnny still train together. We get in there and bang it out. We actually laugh and cut up more than uh, we ever have. So, um, you know, there was many, many workouts. Me and Johnny would train. We would never even speak to each other. We walk in the gym and we just trained and we never said hi, bye, fuck you, anything. We just trained and it was cool, you know, because we were both so focused on getting our workout in and, you know, getting ready for whatever competition we we're training for. But uh, it's, it's a little more relaxed atmosphere, but we still, we still get after it. As far as I have any future plans on competing, eh, probably not. I, uh, at this point, I'm uh, 43 years old. I won every show in the 
in the world except for the Olympia. And I got close to winning that. So, uh, man, at this point, I just don't, can't really see myself uh, you know, getting back on stage and, and competing again, especially with all the other things, business interests and things I have going on in my life now. How did you and Johnny link up? So this is a pretty good story. So uh, it was back in 2001. Johnny, we trained at the same gym, and uh, we'd see each other in there. And we competed against each other several times as amateurs, and Johnny, he beat me every time as an amateur. I never beat him as, a, as an amateur. So um, we had a lot, a lot of rivalry there between us. And uh, we were cool, but, you know, we were just, you know, we were both trying to turn pro. And um, he, he was a lot heavyweight. I was a heavyweight. And um, we'd be in the gym training, almost on the same schedule. So I'd be doing legs, he'd be doing legs. So if I'm squatting, he'd be squatting at the rack over next to me. We, would, we wouldn't talk to each other while we're training, but I know he'd kill my reps because if I did 10 reps, He'd do 12 with the same weight. So I'm counting his reps. So I'm like, man, screw that. So I go put my weight on the bar, do 10 more reps. And so I look at him, he tried to do 11. And uh, so this is the way it was all the time. And uh, we went, this went on for quite a while. So we had a mutual friend who came up to us and he goes, hey, he goes, why don't you two idiots train together? And uh, I, go, I go, man, is he doing the nationals? He goes, yeah, he is. He goes, he goes, there's nobody else in the gym who could hang with you. Or same with him. He goes, you two would be good for each other. I'm like, all right. So I guess he says something to Johnny. And uh, we came in the gym the next day. I said, hey, man, you were training together for the Nationals? He said, let's do it. And, um, and that was 18 years ago. We both trained together for the Nationals. And um, he won a lot of heavyweights. I won the heavyweights. We got our pro card. And he beat me in the overall. And uh, that's the last time he beat me. So, <laughs> Are you guys still good buddies? Very good buddies, man. So uh, I see Johnny uh, almost every day. You know, during the week, we still train together. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, we, uh, we were at the same, we were both sponsored by Muscle Tech. We were both uh, sponsored by Gas. And uh, then for a while, we were both within muscular development. You know, muscular development was big. So we had basically the same sponsors through most of our career until the end. So uh, we traveled the world together and uh, had a blast doing it, man. So he's, uh, he, he, we started off as workout partners and he became one of my very best friends, closest friends. So great guy. So I'm curious, Branch, on that topic, who, do you have like a network of friends that you travel and work out with or you usually like to stick homebound and work out at your local gym? Is that, are you still in the uh, Fort Worth at Dallas area right now? Yeah, I live north of Fort Worth. And, uh, so do you uh, still go to the same gym or do you like to travel and try different gyms? Well, I've, been at, I've been at Metroflex since I was 17 years old. Okay. So uh, I'm 43 now. So do the math. Long time. So, you know, sometimes on the week, you know, the, a lot of weekends I travel, um, I traveled a lot during my career and I still do. Uh, so on the weekends, you know, I'm usually somewhere in the world at a different gym, but um, for the most part, we train at, train at Metro. Here, the past few months, Johnny opened up his own gym. So we usually go there one or two days a week here, here, here lately, but uh, Metroflex is still the, still the home base. And when can your fans see you working out there? Is there a particular time you like to hit the gym there? Or? Usually in the morning time, you know, 10, 10.30, right in there. That's about the time Ronnie gets in there. Ronnie still comes in. And uh, he's Ronnie's ultimate warrior, bro. I mean, he's, um, you know, you know the condition he's in physically, but then this is the most positive dude I've ever ever met. And uh, he still comes in and still in there fighting every day. So, how, how, how is Ronnie doing? I mean, you don't really get the whole story on social media, but it seems like he's, uh, he's kind of falling apart. Yeah, I think he just had his 10th surgery. Um, you know, I know he had some back problems at the end of his career, and then uh, I think that was fixed. And uh, he had a hip replacement, double hip replacement. And, um, I don't know. I, I think the surgeon 
maybe botched up the surgery or something, and uh, they haven't been able to, to get it fixed. So he keeps going back in and trying to get it corrected. So yeah, he had he had like three or four hip replacement surgeries, right? Mm-hmm. I think that has to be at least some ignorance on the doctor's part. That is, I'm pretty certain that's uh, it was some the surgeon botched it up. And, and you know, everybody wants to say, oh, it's because Ronnie trained the way he trained. Well, no, his family has history of hip replacements. There's been several people in his immediate family that all had hip replacements, some of which have never worked out a day in their life. So uh, I think it's a hereditary thing he has. And you know, I'm sure squatting and training as heavy as he did for 30 years maybe accelerated that process. But, uh, you know, he uh, asked him about three years ago, I went to dinner with him and asked him, I said, do you have any regrets? And he said, none. He said, I had the time of my life being Mr. Olympia. And he said, if I had it all to do over again, I'd do it the exact same way. He said his only regret was, he goes, in that video when he squatting 800 pounds, he said, I had three or four more reps in me. And he goes, I wish I'd have done them. And, uh, I, and I was like, yeah, because we'd all seen him do that in the gym, you know? I mean, some of those lifts you see on, on the videos, you know, everybody's like, wow. And I'm like, ah, we've seen the dude do more than that just in the gym training. So uh, I, I believe he had, he had those reps in him. Branch, talk to us about the current uh, the current state of bodybuilding. Like you grew up in the golden days, you know, with Ronnie Coleman. There's no Instagram filters. There's none of that. You know, flash forward, magazines are dead. You know, it's all about the Instagram celebrities. You know, you have guys who aren't even competing with a million followers mm-hmm. making, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. What are your thoughts on on the, the sport? You know, we, we hit it in my generation. Um, we hit it perfect as far as, you know, bodybuilders. It was, it's as far as the, I think that was a golden age for bodybuilding because, um, you know, the, the sport was doing this and uh, it was a perfect time to be an athlete. And um, so many companies were, you know, killing it. The magazines were king. Um, there were so many opportunities for us. And, um, you know, I got, to, I got to live my dream. I got to live truly as a professional bodybuilder for, you know, 15 years or whatever it was. And uh, I had a blast doing it. Traveled the world, went to 40 countries, every state. And uh, now it's a different game, man. Uh, you're back then, if you can make it to the top, you're going to have a good life. And uh, making it to the top was very hard. There weren't too many spots available. But if you could get into one of those spots, then you know, you're going to have a good life. And uh, I had a blast. The guys, now it's a different game, man. Uh, you got some of these, I call them insta-famous, insta-heroes out there that are making good money. They're making money more money than some of the top five Mr. Olympians are. And, uh, you know, some, I call them the Kim Kardashians of the world, man. They never, they have zero accomplishments. You know, they have no titles, no skills. All they know how to do is make a video or a, a selfie, you know, and they, they know how to get just the right angle on the camera to look incredible. And then when you see them in person, you're like, eh, what happened to them? They don't look as good on mirrors. They don't, they don't look like they do on, online usually. So uh, it's just the world we live in today. Um, there's probably a little more opportunities out there than there was. It's just, it requires a different skill set. You know, just being a champion and one of the top bodybuilders in the world doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be you know, financially rewarded or be successful anymore. Um, you know, the magazines were, I think it's, I think like the Olympia this weekend, I was there and um, I see some of these lines of these people and I'm like, these crowds around them and I'm like, who is this? And I had to like look them up on my phone to, f- to figure out who they were and some Mr. Famous person has you know like hundreds of people in line to meet them and i'm like they have no accomplishments you know then you look over and you're looking at one of the top three or four guys in the world you know and this guy's got line is four times longer than this champion over here so it's a it's a different ball game out there today and um for better or for worse it's just different 
what do you, what do you think is causing that? Like, what do you think caused the magazines to die? Because I remember, and I still have some old magazines, you know, where you were actually in, you know, they had those like old muscle tech six or seven page ad reports. And there was actually some really good info in them. What do you think caused the magazines to die? Social media, because they can hire somebody that has a million and a half too many followers for a fraction of what they could advertise in the magazines for, you know? And, um, the problem with that is a lot of these Insta- Instagram people, yeah, they've got a big following, but it's the difference between having a community and having, you know, followers. You know, a community, somebody has 50,000 followers, might actually translate if a company hires them. If it's a community, then those people actually go and support the product that that celebrity, Instagram celebrities endorsing. Whereas, you know, a lot of these people just have followers. They follow them because they do crazy stuff in the gym or, the chick is super hot or whatever, but if they're representing a brand, that's not necessarily going to convert into sales. But, um, and I think, you know, but, but the companies, I think some of the companies are starting to realize that, but even still, they look at it, I think it's just money. You know, why would we spend hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of dollars advertising as some of the companies did back in the day, like Muscle Tech. Um, they had a multi-million dollar advertising budget every year. Now they can go and spend a few hundred thousand and reach potentially many millions more people, some of these celebrities. So uh, it's, uh, it killed the magazines, unfortunately. And with the invention of the smartphone, everybody is online and goes digital. Nobody goes and buys a magazine. And I think this younger generation that's coming up, they're not even going to know what magazines are when they get older. So um, it's, uh, it's sad because I think that's what's lacking in the sport. The magazines created heroes. They created, you know, people they created personalities. And they created heroes, and every sport needs heroes, whether it's baseball or basketball or football or hockey, whatever it is. And, um, you know, some of the best bodybuilders aren't necessarily great on social media, whereas some of these people that have no accomplishments, they're great on social media. And so that's where you see the disparity in the following and, and the money. So and the magazines kind of leveled everything, you know, because it didn't matter if you could write or you could speak well. You know, if you were great and you were a champion, and magazines want to cover you and, you know, help you build up your following. and build your brand up and um but the magazine's gone and so it's kind of lacking was that what made you start your supplement company you wanted to make a company you know strictly for bodybuilders absolutely i wanted to get back to the sport um especially when i was a young bodybuilder up and coming you know buying supplements isn't cheap and um i remember buying supplements and they, they were crap some of them you got them and like they didn't do what they're supposed to do you know i mean some of them you know you got and they you stuck with them because they were they were quality and uh, so coming up as a young man I got very frustrated sometimes because I didn't have a lot of money. And if I went and bought, you know, supplement X over here, you're supposed to do, do this and this. It didn't, you know, that pissed me off. So um, I want to provide a quality supplement, you know, for these young, young athletes that are aspiring to be bodybuilders so they could take and get results. Tell us a bit about your supplement company. Where, where can you purchase these supplements? Um, we're, not in this, we're not in North America yet. It's a, primarily we're based in South America, in Europe and Middle East. Um, it's a Black Skull USA. You build a website. You can get it online if you go to Black Skull USA. And um, we've got pre-workouts, BCAAs, uh, isolate protein, whey protein, mass gainer. Got a full line of uh, fat burners. Got a full line of uh, body hardcore bodybuilding supplements on there. That's a pretty interesting business move to start in South America before going to North America. What, what was your reasoning for that? The North American market is really saturated. I mean, you've got... I think my last count, there's like eight or 900 supplement companies in North America. And uh, 
So they're all fighting over the same piece of the pie. And when you think about a hardcore bodybuilding supplement, how big of a percentage of the population are you looking at? Not very big. You know, I'm gonna say less than probably 4%. Probably it's actually gonna be marketing towards. So you've got almost a thousand players cutting up that 4%. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot tougher game than it used to be. Even the big companies like the, you know, the BSMs and the Muscle Techs and some of these companies, you know, they're still the biggest players, but their piece of the pie has gotten smaller. So, um, you know, I look at a place like South America, like Brazil, for instance, you know, bodybuilding is, is hugely popular. It's draining, gaining in popularity every, every year. It gets more and more popular. The shows are bigger. The, you look at the number of athletes in the organizations is increasing. And um, it reminds me of the States back in like the 80s, early 90s. And um, so, you know, a market like that, you can go into and uh, be very successful. Have you traveled to India? Because everyone's rumoring that India is going to be the next Mecca. India? Yeah. Yes, I have, I have been there. Uh, it's, they have a lot of potential, man, over a billion people there. Um, I think the only thing holding them back is, you know, once they, uh, they need the knowledge and they need the economics, you know, financial power to, you know, you've got a lot of people that have a lot of potential. It is economically, they don't, a lot of them don't have the ability to do it yet. So uh, it's an emerging, emerging country. And uh, I think you skip forward 20, 30 years and you're going to start seeing some good athletes coming out there. Same thing with Brazil. You're already seeing some great athletes. Some of the Miss, Mr. and Miss Olympia winners are already from Brazil. You know, there's been several great athletes, men and women, come out of Brazil. And I think you're going to continue to see a lot, lot more South American athletes make it to the top of the sport. I think, I think Brazil is known for having the most beautiful women. Yes. I can't argue that point. Steve, you want to jump in? What's that? Talking to you. Well, speaking of India, we do have a member from India, and he loves, he's a big fan of you, Branch. He wants to know um, your intensity during your workout. So, we, you know, we talked a little bit about marketing. Um, apparently, he's been watching your workout videos, and he thinks you work out very intensely. And um, is that something that you kind of bring from inside you? He wants to kind of know what's the secret to doing that, and if it's really necessary to really um, excel at bodybuilding. I believe the key to, I, the, to me, the key to training is high intensity. You know, it's, people overthink it. Let me break it down to you, make it real simple. All bodybuilding is, is getting, forcing as much blood into the muscle you're working as humanly possible, and you work that muscle until it fails. You rest, and then you repeat. That's all it is. Rest, you know, proper supplementation, proper nutrition, get plenty of sleep, wake up, go do it again. And that's what it is. And um, the more intense you are, the more harder you can train, the more blood you're going to get into that muscle, the more reps you can do before the muscle fails. And, uh, you know, then you go beyond failure with force reps and things like that, drop sets, and uh, to tear it down even further. That's all it is. You know, high intensity is, uh, I think, the key to it. There's, uh, you can debate all kinds of different, you know, high reps, low reps, whatever, but uh, the intensity is uh, the most important thing because you can take 100 pounds and you can do 100 pounds, make it pretty easy, or you can make it really hard depending on your intensity. And uh, that's, the, that's the key to it. And what my motivation, it's real simple. I wanted to win. I never wanted to lose a competition because somebody outworked me. You know, if, if I went to a competition and lost, it was not going to be because this other person wanted it more than me and trained harder than me. I was not going to let anybody outwork me. And uh, if I lost, it's for some other reason. So. One question I have for you, Branch, is that when you think about hard training bodybuilders, you and Dorian Yates are the two names that come to my mind. And I've watched Dorian Yates' DV. I've watched some of your DVDs. Have you experienced any injuries training that hard? 
I've never, uh, up until just recently, I've never been hurt in the gym. Um, I've had multiple injuries, but it was always doing something outside the gym. You know, I tore my quad off the bone in 2011, 30 days from Mr. Olympia, which uh, was a really, that was the worst one by far. Excuse me. I, uh, I slipped and fell and off of a curb. It was raining. I was walking out of a building and uh, my foot slipped off the curb and it, uh, my other foot caught the curb and it just, uh, that concentric force just ripped it right off the bone. And uh, I was 30 days out from Olympia. I just won the Arnold Classic. Just gotten you know, third and second at the Mr. Olympia. I was one of the favorites that year. And uh, you know, my quad rolled up and I'm laying there in the rain going, damn, did I just, is it over? And because, uh, you know, at that point, no one had ever really come back successful from a you know, torn quad. And um, I had surgery. I was on a Saturday. I had surgery on a Monday morning. And, um, you know, that Wednesday, I was sitting at home in a recliner with my foot and you know, leg all casted up and bandaged up. And I'm sitting there and, uh, of course, you know, I'm looking on the, on the forums and stuff and everybody's singing my, my funeral that I'm, I'm done. Nice knowing you. See you. You'll never come back. And then uh, I just started getting pissed. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let anybody or anything you know, dictate when I'm done. I'm going to decide when I'm done. And nothing else, nothing or nobody's going to tell me when I'm done. And um, I told my wife, I said, hey, I go, I'm going to do the Arnold in six months. And uh, the doctor's telling me I won't even be able to train hard until about, for about six months and be a year probably before I can even think about you know, getting back on stage, if then. And uh, Remember, my mom, Trish is just so black and white. You know, it's either you're in or you're out, you're 100% or you're zero. And she goes, well, you better start eating. And so I remember she went crooked. We played a chicken and rice and put it in my lap, and I started eating. And um, so the following Monday, I was back in the gym. I walked in the gym on crutches, and uh, Johnny looked at me. He goes, man, what the hell are you doing, bro? I go, I'm getting ready for the Arnold. He just laughed. He goes, come on, let's go. And um, I remember we trained chest to chest that day. And it was a, you know, it was a devastating injury because you can't walk. You know, you got to learn how to walk first, and then you, you know, getting full range of motion is the first thing, and then you gotta learn how to walk again. And uh, you still ain't lifted weights at this point. And then you start lifting weights, you know. And I remember the first day back when I actually, not physical therapy, but the first day in the gym, I had one 45 pound plate on one side of the leg press, and I could barely do 10 reps. My whole leg was just quivering and shaking. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, man. And um, so um, I just, you know, I didn't get discouraged, I just got pissed. And I'm like, man, this ain't gonna be, I'm gonna do this. And, um, Every day was just acne, but I listed Brian Dobson to train me. I said, hey, man, I need help on this one. And, uh, he said, all right, you know, is this how we're going to do it? Is this how we're going to train? And um, <clears throat> I said, all right, let's go. Thank God I lifted it in his hands because if I would have done it myself, I would I would have had a different approach to the training than what he, what we ended up doing. And um, but I just put it in his hands and left it in God's hands. And we trained. And it was about a month before the Arnold that year in 2012 that I remember I posed in the gym and I looked at myself and I was like, I can do this. You know, I, I knew I was going to be able to compete, but about four weeks out, I was like, I can do this and I can win again. And uh, went to the show for us later and defended my title. And uh, that was, um, it, sometimes the worst things that happen in life turn out to be the blessings. Because after that show, it, uh, I proved a lot to myself. And uh, I learned that no matter what happens, man, if you're willing to pay the price and work hard, you can overcome anything. And, uh, you know, through hard work, dedication, and my faith, I uh, overcame a potentially career-ended injury and got back on top and um, I've had torn both triceps you know outside the gym doing different things and um, then just recently uh, I just had surgery about two weeks ago on my shoulder I had a had a torn rotator cuff I did it I did it a couple years ago not bad it didn't 
didn't really inhibit my training too much. So, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, I can live with it. I didn't really want to have surgery unless I had to, but over the past couple of years, it just got worse and worse and started nagging at me more and more. So I was like, yeah, I better get this, get this fixed before it, uh, you know, turns into something real serious. So I had a scope here a couple weeks ago and recovering from that now. So those of the who don't know Branch are, are fans listening. Like he was saying, he got second at the 2009 Mr. Olympia, third at the 2010 Mr. Olympia, then came back in the Arnold Classic in, in 2011 and 2012 and won it. So he, he definitely came back strong. Um, Branch, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about the current, uh, the last Mr. Olympia. What, what's the analysis on that? Because um, a lot of the guys we've had on have been wrong. Um, do, you, do you agree with the results? And do you think that it was a shock or what's your analysis? Was it a shock? Absolutely. I don't think anybody, very few people, if anybody had Sean, you know, uh, pegged to win the show. Um, that being said, Sean came back in his best condition he's ever stepped on stage with. And um, he was the best man on stage that night. I was there. Um, you know, I'm friends with Phil. Um, you know, I'll break it down to you like this. I double bicep real last friend, Phil won. Phil had the best back shots on the stage. Uh, from the front, Sean won every pose. He won the front double bicep, overhead abs, front last spread. He won the side tricep. I probably give side chest to Phil because Phil's thicker and fuller up top than Sean is. You know, Sean's got his chest is a little light, his triceps are a little bit light. Uh, you know, especially compared to Phil. But uh, you know, Phil's waist was not good. You know, his abs. He had the hernia last year, and I know he had surgery to fix it, but his abs were midsection was not good. Still, you know, was suspended a little bit, and uh, he. Uh, had a little problem holding it in, and you know, and Sean was in better condition. So uh, all that taken in, and Sean had great presentation, had a great routine that night. So uh, it was close. It wasn't a, a grand slam by any means, but he was a he was a deserving winner. And congratulations to him. So before I let Trevor jump in, I have a question for you. Sean's not a young spring chicken anymore. Do you no. think here from now he can defend this title, or do you think that this is a one and done type of thing? Man, I, I'm not going to say anybody can't do anything. I mean, if I'd have told you on Thursday last week that uh, Sean Rogan was going to win, you, most people would be like, eh, whatever. You know, so who says he – very few – nobody thought he was going to win, and he did. So who says he can't come back next year and do it again? You know, but who says somebody else might not step up? Um, you know, who says one of these guys that didn't even make top ten this year is going to step up and, and win? You know, Ronnie went from, I think, 12th place or something to winning that year. He won, so um, – you know, is it possible? Yeah, absolutely, he's possible. You know, time isn't on his side. You know, I know he's in his 40s. And, uh, you know, to be the top of the world in your 40s is something just remarkable in itself. You know, if he can stay there for a year or two, then beyond this, then that's even more remarkable. But, uh, you know, we'll have to – I think it's great for the sport. You know, next year is going to be a special field as I to come back. You know, you're going to have a have some uh, have a battle up there. And, you know, one of these other guys, there's – plenty of guys that can win. You know, Sean, he had the best physique on stage Saturday night. He deserved to win, and he did. That being said, Sean has a – he's beatable. You know, he's got some got some flaws. You know, up top, he's a, he's a little bottom heavy. You know, his upper body could be a little thicker. He could have a little more fullness in his upper body, you know, especially in the chest and in the tricep area. His, uh, his has high lats. He doesn't have, a, you know, those nice low lats like Phil Heath does. So, you know, he's got a little vulnerability there from the rear those back shots so uh you know somebody brings it you know like big rami big rami could get hard it's lights out for everybody you know he's just 
and you know, Rami just can't seem to get that conditioning down. And, um, you know, I think William Bonac, I'm very impressed with. He wasn't quite as good at the Olympia as he was at the, the Arnold, but I think that's another one to look out for. And, uh, you know, really big Rowley, he was by far in the best shape of his life. You know, got third, surprised a lot of people. So, uh, you know, he comes in even better than that. He's got all the mass in the world to win. It's hard to believe Sean's only two months different than you. Did you know that? Yeah. Months different in age. So it's, that's pretty amazing. That's, uh, I think it's good for the sport. I think it's good for bodybuilding that that has happened because it just shows that um, it's not about being, you know, young in your twenties or even thirties. It's like the older guys like us, we got the, we got the brains and that's, that's what that's, that makes the difference. The experience. You can, the brain. you can still do it, man. You can still do it. You know, I used to think 40 was ancient, you know, now I'm 43 and I'm, I don't feel any different than I did when I was 25, really. And, uh, you know, so uh, I think it's just a lot of it's up here. Men's physique and classic physique. Did you even watch those divisions? Uh, I didn't get to see the classic. I was actually at the booth, and uh, I didn't get a chance to watch the pre-judging or the finals. Uh, I saw a little bit of the men's physique, but, uh, you know, I think the big shocker was, you know, Jeremy didn't didn't win, and I uh, fell quite a, quite a ways. But, uh I didn't get a didn't get to see the whole whole prejudging, and I didn't see any of the finals. What are your thoughts on those divisions? Um, I think the winner of the classic physique he was deserving, man. He looked great. The guy's got a beautiful physique, and um, that wasn't really surprised that he won. Um, you know, I was a little little surprised at the men's physique division. Um, you know, especially, but that that division I think is, I think the men's physique of all the men's divisions, I think the men's physique division is one that's the most wide open. I don't think it's 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 going to be very hard for anybody to come in and just dominate, like say the way Phil Heath did for seven years, you know, or Ronnie Coleman or something. I think here it's a it's very competitive, and it's going to be very hard for somebody to just come in and just be a multiple year after year after year winner. So, but I think in classic, I think that could happen. The problem with men's physique is like bikini, right? It's so it's so subjective because like, looks play a role. Because like you ask me, what do I like in a woman? I might say, oh, I like a brunette. You ask Steve, you might like redheads, you might like blondes, right? So the brunette, that might be the flavor of the month that year, whereas the next year it might be blondes, it might be redheads. So I agree with you. And um, so I, I think with the classic, you know, it's still classic, it's still bodybuilding. So yeah, it's possible for, you know, somebody to get up there and uh, just dominate for a long period of time. I think that's, that's very possible. And men's physique, I don't, it's just not going to, it's just so competitive because it's that gray area. You know, you can't be too big, you can't be too small, you can't be too hard or too soft. And, uh, and it's like you said, it goes down to looks, you know. So it's kind of the flavor of the, flavor of the week. Which booth were you at at the Olympia? It's at the Blasco booth. Okay. And then you also started uh, Beef Jerky Company. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, myself and my partner, Scott James. Scott James was the, uh, the founder of BSN. We, uh, we partnered up to do it. We've been wanting to do something together for years and work together. And he lives uh, not too far from where I do. So we got together and started talking, and he, he said, hey, what do you think about doing a beef jerky company? I'm like, beef jerky? I'm like, I don't know anything about beef jerky. I like it. You know, I know my family used to, my dad used to make it when I was growing up, and uh, I started thinking about it, and I said, we well, you know, with sports supplements, or bodybuilding supplements, it's such a small percent of the population that you're marketing towards. I go, with beef jerky, unless you're a vegan, everybody loves it. So um, then I dove into it head first, and I started learning about how different recipes and different meats and these kind of things. And uh, we put it together and uh, we have it, Wiki Cuts.
from we've got uh, seven different flavors right now we got two more flavors coming out um, we've got beef turkey and bacon the bacon bacon jerky is incredible it's the least healthy of the bunch and we get the maple maple bacon man it's great but uh if you're trying to get on a diet stay away from it but uh, <laughs> the original peppered and barbecue mesquite and the turkey jerky is uh really healthy really good for you you can work that into your plan even the keto plan uh, it's relatively low in sodium and uh and carbs so it tastes really great it's uh not just saying that because it's my my stuff so you guys um i'll send you some samples and try it out where where can i listeners buy that wicked you go to wickedcuts.co and uh and get all of our flavors on there we ship directly to to your house um we got some new stuff coming out we have some beef sticks coming out we're really excited about and uh, we're gonna have a really uh some innovative stuff believe it or not if you can imagine that with jerky we're gonna be debuting here in the next couple months are you guys in any of the big retailers like 7-eleven or anything like that yet not right now we're just mostly doing a direct to consumer um i think here in the firstly here shortly we are we are selling to a few wholesalers or a few retailers you know um but um not uh that's right now our focus is direct to consumer so if you're interested in it and you're you're a wholesaler come talk to us but our focus is uh, mostly direct to consumer and that's wicked cuts with an s yeah wicked cuts you can see it with a z oh wicked cuts with yeah. a z .co. i'll put that in the show notes okay that seems really cool yeah it's really cool man it's uh something different and uh, i'm having fun with it you know because it's uh i'm in the office every day and uh here we got the warehouse and everything and it's um uh, having a lot of fun with it so it's a different role you know being an owner of a, of a company and uh, having fun you're, you're doing a lot you're also promoting shows tell us a little bit about that we've got four four sports expos we have a uh, houston houston's a big show we've got a, probably about 10 people that attended it this year uh we've got the npc show all the different divisions you know bodybuilding fitness bikini physique and we have a jiu-jitsu tournament we have a crossfit tournament we have a powerlifting tournament, we have a strongman tournament, we have an arm wrestling tournament. Uh, I'm missing something here. We have pole fitness before, we have wrestling. Uh, so it's an all-day event. I think we've got 10 different events all, all together with our expo. We had over 100 booths you know, set up and um, fun day for the kids. We have midget wrestling on top of everything else, which was a kind of an event for the kids, man, which is hugely popular. We have them back every year. So we uh, always have some great, uh, great fitness celebrities that show up. And um, great, the NPC show is really strong. Every year we usually have somebody turn pro out of the, after our show, it goes on to the Nationals of USA and turns pro. So uh, it's a really fun weekend in Houston every year. Then I have a show in Minneapolis. It's the same thing as Houston, just not quite as big. It's only only had it for three years now. Uh, actually two years, next year will be the third year. And uh, it tripled in size from the first year, so it's on its way. And then actually September 22nd, this, this weekend, me and my partner, Mel Chansey, are having a show in Chicago. Same type of thing. We've got a CrossFit, we have a powerlifting competition, and we have an NPC show. So first year show for that. So if you're in the Chicago area this weekend, it's in Tinley Park. Come by and check it out. And it's called the League of Champions. And then the last show of the year, October 27th in Dallas, is uh, my Texas Legends show. It's uh, me and my wife and my partner, Brian Dobson, promote that. And uh, it's just like Houston. So a big event all the multiple events and uh it's a fun day we're gonna have a try before halloween so we're gonna have a pumpkin smashing contest and a halloween contest too in addition to everything else so now bring the kids out and uh we're gonna give them a little cash prizes for the the 
Halloween costume contest, and of course, then the pumpkin smashing. You don't want to miss that. When is the Minneapolis show? Uh, it's June 9th. This this uh, this year was, so it's I think that I believe I want to say June 8th for next year. It's the same weekend. I think it's just a day. June 8th. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Winnipeg, so it's not that far. Yeah, you come down and try it out. Check it out. So now, is this, these pro shows, or can anyone or can anyone enter? No, anyone can enter. They're amateur shows, so no no pro divisions. Okay, cool. That's definitely really interesting. What what got you into promoting shows? Man, I did my started my Houston show 13 years ago. I uh, Brian kind of approached me about it, you know, with Metroflex, and he said, "Hey, what do you think about having your own show?" And uh, I said, "Yeah," I said, "I'd love to." I've been thinking about it anyway, and I, so we looked into. I think Dallas had like 11 shows, Dallas Fort Worth area. So at the time, Houston only had like one or two, and Houston's the third or fourth largest city in the country. And uh, there's, I think Houston has the highest number of competitors of anywhere in the country. So uh, that was a no-brainer. We uh, went down, rented a place out, had it. And uh, I think the first year we had like 79 competitors and about 20 or 30 in the powerlifting. And um, I, was just, I was pretty pumped about that. So fast forward 13 years, you know, I think we had about 450 in the NPC and we had over 2,000 athletes combined in all the different divisions and, you know, huge crowds. So, um, it's, uh, it's grown quite a bit. That's, that's a big show to manage. Always yeah. will. It's like hurting cats. <laughs> so what can we expect out of you, uh, brand shop? You're not going to compete anymore apparently, or is that a possibility? And what can we expect out of you in the next five years? Any other businesses that you want to kind of get into? What, what do you see yourself accomplishing? Um, right now, you know, my major focus is Wicked Cuts. And of course, my nutrition, you know, the Black Skull, you know, nutrition. Uh, I do a lot of traveling for those guys, you know, promoting the brand overseas. And, um, you know, right now, Wicked Cuts is, I'm at the office every day working on that and uh, expanding, expanding ourselves and working on the media and getting the word out. Um, of course, I've got all the shows, and um, I always attend all the major major events, you know, the Arnold and the Olympias, and I attend a lot of the amateur Olympias and Arnold's also. So um, I'm still very much involved in the sport. As far as competing, you know, I just, uh, at the moment, I would say no. Um, if I have, I've just got so much other stuff going on. I'm doing, I'm so much busier than I ever was when I was competing, you know, with all these different things going on. So uh, at the moment, I can't, uh, can't see me get back on stage. What about Trish? Is she still competing? She hasn't competed. She competed last year. Uh, she hasn't. Uh, she hasn't like actually retired. I don't think. But uh, she doesn't have any plans to to step on stage either. You know, we have a daughter, and uh, she's in school, and you know, she helps out with the with the shows and the work and everything. So uh, right now, there's no uh, no plans for either one of us getting back on. Stage, oh, how, how old is your daughter, Ranch? Six years old. Six years old. Yeah, she's six. She's in first grade. She's in gymnastics, soccer, and uh, she's the uh, best thing that ever happened to me. Fast forward 10 years. I can't wait to see the look on the, the guy's face uh, when, uh, when she brings him home. Man, I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> I, don't even want, I don't even want to think about it. So, right now, if I, could keep her, if I could keep her at this age right now, I would. So I wouldn't change anything about her. I mean, I mean, coming home to, to a girl's dad who's a pro bodybuilder, but that's one thing. But then they Google your name. There's all these like videos of you fun, uh, hunting and like killing stuff. Like <laughs> I would, I'd be, I'd be absolutely terrified. Yeah. I, uh, I took her to school her first day of school in kindergarten and uh, I took her to walk her to class or something. And uh, 
I just wanted to let all them little, little flipper snappers know who her daddy was. Leave my little girl alone, you know? So, um, but, uh, yeah, she's a good girl, man. We're very blessed, man. She's, uh, she's really does make really good grades. She's really talented, good little athlete. And, uh, so we're, we're very blessed. You sound like a softy, Branch. Uh, everybody, all your fans on our forum, and even the people we've interviewed, think that you're this like crazy meathead guy who just throws weights around. And I guess that's your reputation, but interviewing you, you seem like a softy at heart. What am I missing here? Am I wrong? Or? Oh, man, it's, um, you know, I don't know if you saw Generation Iron. I think they, they kind of touched on that, but you know, when I walk into the gym, man, it's, uh, you got to take care of business, you know, you got that switch you flip on and, you know, you, you switch on the kick-ass mode and you do what you got to do. But, um, you know, you come home, you don't bring that home. So, uh, you know, to the family and everything. So, and then, um, I think having a daughter is definitely different than having a son. Um, you know, I'm, you know, my daughter falls and skins her knee and I pick her up, hold her and tell her it's going to be all right. If I had a son, I'd probably slap him in the head, take him a quick crime and suck it up, you know. But, uh, so maybe a little double, double standard there. But, um, yeah, having a girl, I think having a daughter does soften you up some. And uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Absolutely. Are you planning on having any more or just the one? Yeah, we. I would love to have another one. So uh, if we do, that would be a huge blessing. Absolutely. Branch, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Do you have any special thank yous, any shout outs you want to do? Uh, I just want to say, hey, go to wickedcuts.co, you know, try it out. Man, I guarantee you'll love the jerky. It's the best, uh, best stuff out there on the market. And if you're in Chicago next weekend, September 22nd, by Tinley Park Convention Center, League of Champions, man. It'll be a fun day event. It's an all-day event because of the multiple events and expos. Starts at door doors open to the public at 8 a.m. Uh, closes at 5 and then reopens at 6.30 for the night show. So come on, check it out, say hello. And um, you can always keep up with me if you um, follow me on Instagram, the Branch Warren, on Instagram and on Facebook. So uh, check out what I'm, where I'm at, what I'm doing, the latest, greatest, crazy stuff I'm out and about doing. For all of our listeners, I'll have all of those links in the show notes. So you guys can check those out. Um, I'm super curious about your beef jerky. Are you shipping internationally or is it just U.S.? Shipping internationally, man. I'll send you some. I'll get you some sent out today. Okay, cool. Because we, uh, we do have some international. Uh, so you might have some people in Australia trying to, trying to order it. In Australia? Yeah. yeah we talked to some, we talked to, some uh, talked to a guy uh, this weekend at the Olympia about that. So I think he's got, a, got several sores all throughout Australia. So... Uh, He's very interested in it. So if we can get it worked out with uh, Australian customs, you know, because it's a meat product, then uh, we're going to get some sit down there. What is the weirdest place you have sent a supplement or beef jerky to? Hmm. The weirdest place. Man, I've sent, you know, I've sent a lot of supplements and beef jerky to, like, Afghanistan. You know, the guys over there. Uh, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of American Marines and some Canadians and some other, I think, some some uh, French guys over there. Uh, let's see, uh, I want to say Antarctica, man. It was probably Antarctica. Re- Antarctica. There was like a, I guess, a research station or something down there. And I got a, uh, I got a message, and I'm like, where? And they were asking if we, you know, we could send them something. And I'm like, you know what, dude? If you're in Antarctica, man, I'm just gonna send it to you for free. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> man, we sent it to him. So it was, uh, I, was, I don't know how long it took to get there, but I know they got it because uh, a couple months later, I got a message saying, thank you so much, blah, blah, blah. So uh, that was pretty cool. 
he probably gets the beef jerky and it's like frozen solid. <laughs> well, I sent him some supplements too, man. And you know, I'm surprised he wasn't uh, petrified by the time he got there. For our listeners, definitely give Branch, uh, give his social media a following, check out his uh, beef jerky company. It's always nice to see someone in the sport being a, being a businessman, you know, doing, pursuing other endeavors. So I'm really happy for you, Branch. I hope your business endeavors do well. For your host, Trevor Kritzen, for my co-host, Steve Smee, and for our special guest, Branch Warren, this is another episode of Evolutionary Radio. Live your life, look at doing it. Thanks for listening. Thank you.